Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, it really is good to see you here. I, I mean that. Whether you came on your own free will or you were dragged, conned, or lost a bet. I'm glad that uh, you're here. Boy, today's an exciting day if you're a sports enthusiast, right? It's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, some of you guys are going to be hosting parties, and some of you will be going to parties, and there'll be lots of great food, and there'll be lots of cheering around the television as the Patriots win again, another Super Bowl. And um, yes, that could get me in trouble, but I was hoping some of my fans out there might back me up on that. But there's going to be a lot of excitement, a lot of cheering. Well, I want to tell you, I am so excited, really, I really am, about this brand new series that we're starting. We're going to be making our way through the book of Jonah. He's often known as the reluctant prophet. I mean, and who hasn't heard of Jonah? Everybody has heard of Jonah. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in Sunday school and church all of your life or you've never darkened the doors of a church. You probably have heard the story of Jonah. His story is uh, familiar to both young and old alike. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Jonah? Now, I realize it may be a hard book to find. There's only 48 verses in the, in the book of Jonah, and it's kind of in the middle of a bunch of books. So if I tell you it's between Obadiah and Micah, is that more helpful? Or if I tell you it's on page 749 of my Bible, does that help? Well, I'd say go to your table of contents if you have a hard time. It's not cheating, by the way, to use your table of contents. That's what it's there for, uh, to help you. A Jonah. Sometimes, sometimes, people get the story of Jonah mixed up with the story of Pinocchio. <laughs> you know Pinocchio, right? That story, the guy that tells uh, lies and his nose grows. Well, in, in that story, of course, Pinocchio gets swallowed by a whale. And he's floating inside the whale on his raft. And of course, if you know the story, he starts a fire and then it causes the, uh, the whale to sneeze and out comes Pinocchio. That's not the story of Jonah. Okay, just so you know that. Now I realize that there are probably some here this morning that would say, isn't Jonah just a child's story? I mean, really, what could I possibly learn from a story that is often found in children's books? I mean, Donald, I'm a grown adult, for crying out loud. Stimulate me with something that I can relate to. Perhaps that's what you may think. Well, I guarantee you, by the end of this series, there will be so much stuff that we relate to, you'll be like, stop it, stop it, I can't handle it uh, anymore. And I'm praying that together um, we'll have an awareness of God, maybe in ways that we haven't even experienced uh, before. Now, Jonah is the brunt of numerous jokes. Uh, he's the classic example of a rebel. He's probably one of the most well-known prophets in all the Bible. And he's been proclaimed, he's been analyzed, he's been criticized for years, viewed by critics... Uh, as best uh, as a fairy tale. Uh, to many scholars, they would say it's merely a myth, a fable, at best a parable. 
that we can learn from. It really is just a humorous legend uh, created in someone's mind and some old soul from days gone by. Make no mistake, Jonah is a real person who is part of history. Uh, there is no myth about his story. And I am surprised, sometimes I'll meet, you know, some Christians who will come along and say, but Donald, seriously, think about it. How, I mean, come on, really, a man is going to get swallowed by a big fish, and three days later, he's kind of thrown out under the, uh, under the beach? Like, come on, Donald. Which I always remind people, the God who created the universe in seven days, I think probably could create a fish that could swallow a man and hold him for three days. It's no stretch for me to believe a story like that. But I will say that the book of Jonah is not just simply about a man named Jonah. It's not a story just about a great fish. It's not a story about a great city of Nineveh. This story of Jonah is the story of God and the greatness of God's grace. His relentless grace towards us day after day after day after day. I love this book. I really do. 48 verses. And enough drama in there to really create a blockbuster movie. It's a story of sin and grace. It's a story of desperation and deliverance. I like actually how one of my favorite preachers down south describes the book of Jonah. He says, this book is a story of God's relentless pursuit of a self-righteous fugitive. It's all about how sin reaches far, but that God's grace reaches farther. This is a story of how we are great sinners, but how God is a great Savior. It's a story of how God's capacity to clean things up is infinitely greater than our capacity to mess things up. From the beginning of the book right through the end, we are reminded of the sinfulness, our sinfulness, and God's grace. I love how he describes the book of Jonah. And by the way, if we come at the end of the series and you are tempted to say, we are tempted to say, I am nothing like Jonah. We have missed the point. Because the reality is, we're all like Jonah. Every single one of us. So I hope you brought your Bibles this morning. If you're in the habit of not bringing your Bible, I really want to encourage you to bring it. Uh, just so you can see it for yourself, you can read it for yourself, you can underline it, you can write in your Bible. It's, it's a great thing to have with you. So let's begin to read. In Jonah chapter 1, we'll just read a couple of verses to get us going here uh, this morning. Jonah chapter 1, are you there? Okay, great. Thank you, those three people that responded. Okay. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Let's just pray. Father, we pray that in the next few moments, as we look into your word, I pray, Lord, that all of us could be overwhelmed and overcome by the greatness of God's grace. You are a God filled with grace, and you extend it to us day after day after day. Thank you, Lord. 
Help us to be able to catch that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord, it says, came to Jonah. Jonah heard God's voice, and God spoke with purpose, and he spoke with authority, and God spoke to Jonah. Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was Israel's worst enemy, okay, worst enemy. So this is how I kind of picture the conversation going. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah, I have, a, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to Nineveh, which I believe he responds with, say what? Like, you want me to do what? <laughs> oh, this is a joke, right, Lord? <laughs> they say you don't have a sense of humor, but I know you do. Go to Nineveh. That's really good. You're not serious, right? And then God says, no, actually, Jonah, um, I am serious. Which I believe Jonah says, but God, no, no, but God, do I need to remind you, God, there are enemies. We're actually at war with them. <laughs> like, they don't like us, and we don't like them. God, why? No, that, that's not the mission you have for me. They hate people like me. Why would you send me to a place like that? Now, for us living maybe here in 2017, uh, we might not grasp really the significance of what God is asking Jonah to do. Because Nineveh is the capital city of the mighty empire uh, of Assyria. And they have basically ruled the world for nearly 300 years. The known world at that time. Much like the Roman Empire during Jesus' day. And they had a reputation, the Assyrians, and it was not a good one. Uh, this is what they were known for. They were known to be arrogant, dominant, all-encompassing, proud, ruthless, cruel, brutal, bragging of their exploits in warfare. If they did what they did in 2017, they would be war criminals and they would be arrested for war crimes. Uh, they, were, they ruled with fear. And they would go into towns and cities and countrysides and countries. They would cut people's feet off. They'd cut their hands off. They'd skin them alive. Some of the cruelty, we can't even talk about here this morning. That's how brutal um, these people were, the Assyrians. You know what, actually, I was thinking about this. Do you know what it would be like, God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh? It would be, and, and, and telling them, like, people in Nineveh, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It would be like a Jew going into the office of Hitler and saying, what you're doing is wrong, and repent. I mean, it's so ridiculous, you would think, of what God has asked Jonah to do. Can you imagine what that would be like when you see that kind of a contrast, when you compare it to a Jew going in to see Hitler? And perhaps some of Jonah's very own family has been affected by the cruelty of the Assyrians. But in verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of who? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I got good news for you, friends. Okay, some good, good news for you. God loves to speak to his people. God loves to speak to his people. He spoke the creation into existence with his words. God continues to speak to people. He has spoken throughout history, and he has spoken in many different ways. 
We read in the Bible where obviously in Jonah, he spoke sometimes audibly. He speaks through circumstances. He has spoken through the prophets. He has spoken through the Holy Spirit. Like God loves to speak to his people. And if you've never heard the voice of the Lord, if you say, we know I've never heard the voice of the Lord, well, you're in, you're in a good place today because this is also his word. Like God speaks through his word this morning. And I believe we're going to hear from God's word. This is his word, and the Bible says it's active. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces deep into the soul and transforms life. I believe the word of the Lord will speak to us this morning. It's great to have the, the word of the Lord. That's great that he speaks. But the challenge is, is doing what the word of the Lord says. You know, sometimes the word of the Lord will speak, and we're reading it, and it will talk about forgiveness, and we're like, ooh, I, I really have a hard time with that. Or maybe it talks about uh, sex uh, before marriage. You go, oh, I, I, I don't think I agree with that. Or it talks about sexuality. And you go, I, I don't think I really agree with that. And we're, we're wrestling with, well, that's the word of the Lord. Do I agree with it? Or don't I agree with it? Because sometimes we like to convince ourselves, I think like Jonah, that we actually know better. That we know best. Kind of reminds me of the time when I was in Haiti. I was on a mission trip. I had taken a group of teens and uh, we were working all day in the heat of the sun every day, and we were building a wall around the mission compound. And at four o'clock, we were allowed to, uh, t- uh, it was the end of the day, so we were allowed to go across the street where there was a beach. We just, oh, we couldn't wait that very first day just to get some refreshment. And uh, we went across the street, we go to the beach, and just before we went in the water, one of the Haitians said to us, now listen, there's a riptide just a little ways out there, so don't go out too far. Because you could get caught in the riptide. And I thought to myself, does he not, can he not tell I'm a swimmer? Like, people often call me Michael Phelps number two, right? And so we're in the water, and of course I'm warning all the teens, don't, don't go too far. But no, that wouldn't apply to me. And I can remember swimming a little bit farther, and before I knew it, I was like, everyone seems to be getting farther away. And I thought, oh, 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 I, I, this is not good. And, and I, I actually started to panic because I, I was actually just floating a little farther away. And I can remember, you know, just swimming, like using all my strength. And I'm swimming and, and nothing is happening. I'm, all I'm doing is just getting a little farther away from my team. And so as panic started, okay, okay, Donald, Donald, come to your senses, come to your senses. What, what do you do? What do you do when you're in a riptide? What do you do? Oh, don't swim this way. Swim along the current, the, the riptide, and eventually on a diagonal, and you'll get to closer shore. And I can remember when my toe hit the sand. I was like, why wouldn't I listen to that guy who knows so much more than I do? I mean, he lives in there. This is his town. He knows there's a riptide. He's seen people be swept away. But somehow I thought I knew better. And sometimes when we read God's word, when the word of the Lord comes to us, sometimes we think we know just a little better than what he has. Now, when you read this, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, that you need to go to Nineveh, you would assume that the next uh, verse you're going to read is going to say, and Jonah went to Nineveh. I mean, he's a prophet of God. Don't prophets of God do what people uh, what God asked them to do? 
I mean, he's a follower of God. Don't people who follow God do what God asks them to do? For crying out loud, he's a prophet. He's a follower of God. And he makes a decision not to do what God asked him to do. In fact, it's like immediately, it seems like, when the word of the Lord came to him, that he decides, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. See, God had asked Jonah, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, it's, a, it's going to be a long trip, uh, Nineveh. I mean, Nineveh is a long trip away, and so, Jonah, you're going to have to prepare for it. It's about 500 miles away. So that's quite a trip. So you would think, okay, Jonah's got to prepare. He's got to get ready for the trip. But what he decides to do, instead of going 500 miles that way, he goes down to the docks. He finds a boat going to Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles away, almost going to the farthest part of the earth that he can find. Okay. And he buys a ticket, and he heads off. So really, you know what that means. What it really means, what we've just read here, is that basically Jonah rose up against God. That's what's taking place. It means that Jonah stood up and said, basically, God, in this situation, I actually think I know better than you. I thank you for your suggestions. I thank you for your advice throughout the years. But this time, I'm going to do it my way. When we sin in the moment, we're acting like we're God. We're doing what we think is best, not what God says is best. By the way, as I was thinking about this, jo I don't think this is true. I don't think Jonah is running away because he's scared. Even though the Assyrians are his enemies, I think Jonah has seen enough in his life that he knows the mighty works of God. So I, I don't think he's running because he's scared. I don't think he's going the opposite direction either because he thinks that, that the mission that God's going to send him on is going to fail. Okay? I don't think that. No, I think Jonah is running away because he knows if he preaches the gospel and people receive it, that God will be gracious enough to forgive those people. And Jonah desperately doesn't want that. Jonah wants those people destroyed. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but at this season of Jonah's life, he's a racist. Because he thinks he's better than another group of people. He thinks he has enough traits and qualities in him that makes him a little bit more superior than the Assyrians. Jonah, in this season of his life, seems very self-righteous. That he's so much better than the Assyrians. I believe he would even say, God, I'm nothing like them. And they're nothing like me. Which I believe at that point, God would say, actually, Jonah, you're a lot like them. You're a lot like them. And then as we breathe through, of course, this storm comes along. And I don't think it's because God's going to punish Jonah. I don't think he's putting his thumb down on Jonah. I'll get even with you, buddy. I'm peeved at you. No. I think what God is doing is sending an intervention for Jonah. Jonah's in this rebellious state 
and he is in need of an intervention. People who are in great trouble and don't know it need an intervention. And running from God is like, is like uh, becoming a slave to sin. See, we think that if we run from God, we actually have lots of freedom. But in reality, we're putting ourselves in bondage. You say, well, how is that even possible? Because really what we're doing, it all relies on us. It's our capacity, our strength, our abilities to get us through. No, I believe real freedom is not when you rely on yourself. But real freedom is when you can no longer, you don't have to trust, put all the trust in yourself, but you turn it over to God. And then you experience freedom. See, sin makes us think we're infallible, but it never allows us to live like we're infallible. And I want you to notice, actually, when it says that Jonah made a decision to run, if you look in your text, see how, how it continues here. I, th- I think the writer is very intentional, by the way, uh, on the words that he chooses. I, I am no Hebrew scholar. I've taken lots of Hebrew, but I'm no he- uh, Hebrew scholar. But I don't think it's any accident the words that are chosen in this verse. In fact, let's just take a look at it. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It just seems like when Jonah starts to run, everything just spirals downward, 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 downward. Flight from God always leads downward. Now, I, I mean, I've been a pastor for almost 28 years. I know, you're amazing. Like, what? You're so young looking. How could that possibly be? And like you, we have all met a lot of Christians who really don't experience joy in their life. It's sad, but it's true. I think sometimes people don't experience joy because they're running. They're running from God, and they don't even recognize it. You may say, well, uh, I'm not running from God. Probably most of us may, would say that I'm not running from God. I mean, I attend church fairly regularly. <laughs> Uh, people who run from God, I mean, aren't they like the fornicators and the adulterers and those who cheat on their tax? I mean, those are the people that run from God. I mean, I, mean, I might complain a little bit about the church. I might complain a little bit about the, the preacher guy. I might complain a little bit about my spouse and kids, my in-laws and my boss, but I am not running from God. I mean, everyone does that, right? In fact, I believe in God. So how could I be running from God? Most of the time, our running is so gradual that we don't even recognize it. Most people don't start in a full run to get away from the presence of God. No, no, no. It usually just starts, sometimes it just starts by standing still and just kind of wandering, slow steps. And before long, the slow stroll turns into a run. You know, it's much like the story of the frog right in the pot. He's in the pot. (laughs) Life is good. And of course the temperature is turned up and he doesn't even recognize it. It just gets a little warmer. And then it gets warm maybe where sweat's on on his on himself. And then before no, it starts boiling and he has no chance to get out. It's just so gradual. 
we, we don't often recognize it. Our wandering from God is, is much like the flow of the tide. Just very, it's not a tidal wave for most of us. It's just subtle, very subtle. When I uh, was growing up as a kid, I used to spend uh, a fair amount of time fishing with my father and my grandfather. My grandfather was a fisherman. So he had a boat, and uh, we would go uh, out into the ocean, and we would handline. I don't know if anyone has done handlining before, but it's like, like thick, thick twine, and, and you drop it to the bottom of the ocean floor. And you have probably about 10 hooks about this far apart. And you're hoping to catch some haddock and some pollock and some codfish. And, and so you're down there. And so we, we go out, way out. Uh, and then we shut off the engine. We enjoy the sunshine. We lower our lines. And we're just talking. And we're doing a little bit of fishing, just chatting, laughing. And then all of a sudden, we look around and we're like, where are we? Like, we were way out at, at, the, at the head of the bay there, and now we found ourselves way down into the narrows. We didn't even know it was happening. I still remember that it happened over and over again. You shut off the engines, you're having a great time, not paying attention before, you know, you're like, well, I think we're heading to the rocks. We've got to get ourselves out of here. We drift so slowly. Wandering from God is a very, very slow progression. Now here's some bad news. I don't like to be, give, be bearer of bad news, but here's some bad news. When you want to run from God, there will always be a ship in port to take you in a different direction. Guaranteed. When you're ready to run, guaranteed, the boat's ready to take you. You know, sometimes it's not a boat. Sometimes it's friends. What? <laughs> what are you doing over there? Come over here. Come on. What's crazy stuff what you're doing over there? There's always will be friends. There's always a boat. There's always a car load ready to take you where you want to go when you want to run from God. But here's the good news. No, this is not good news. This is great news. No matter how far you run, no matter how far you drift, God is always ready to run to you when you run to him. Always. I mean, that's the whole message of the cross. God always, he always extends his grace. Ten out of ten times, he always extends his grace. That's the relentless grace of God. Day after day after day after day. He extends his grace. Now, I don't know what your situation is like today. Maybe you're here today and... You may not say it, but you know you're running from God. You may be in a full run, sweating as you're going along the way from God. Or maybe you're just here and you're just simply drifting. And you maybe don't even recognize it. The Bible says, I love this. The Bible says, 
Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Just say it. Just say it. Lord, I need you. Like Jesus, I need you. I can't, Lord, I can't continue putting all the pressure on myself to perform for the, uh, all my own capacities, all my own abilities, all my own traits to get me through it. I can't do it. Oh God, I need you. See, when we run from God, it never, it never leads to freedom. It only leads to frustration and bondage. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the cross to set men and women free. 